Well, thank you, Ron. Thank you, Doug. Thank you also to uh, the worship team for leading us uh, in song this morning. It's a really great joy to be worshiping with you and to be sharing with you from God's word. Uh, the last time I was uh, preaching was, I think, five weeks ago today when we were at our, at our previous home in Klaipeda, Lithuania, uh, preaching the day before we uh, flew back uh, to the United States from Eastern Europe. And the worship team was comprised of uh, a Ukrainian student at our university and uh, two Lithuanians um, who we knew and, and loved well, and, and also two Ukrainian refugees, uh, one who was leading, leading the worship in that church. And so um, our, our, we're so thankful that wherever we go in the world, we find um, that God has not left his, uh, his spirit without uh, a presence uh, and that uh, God is, is advancing his kingdom uh, in the world. And so uh, we're back in the United States now and looking forward to uh, a new season of, of ministry. And it was wonderful to get to know uh, some of you yesterday, uh, and I'm looking forward to more conversations in the months to come. I'd, I'd like to start with a question. Uh, it's, maybe it's the most, one of the most important questions, but we asked the question, what is it that we need most in life? What, what do we need most in life? Sometimes our lives sort of get on autopilot and we just kind of move along on our own trajectories without stopping to evaluate our reasons for pursuing this or that task or project or um, just whatever, whatever we're doing. And sometimes there's a crisis, a small crisis or even a large crisis that makes us reconsider or wake up and, and realize that what we're doing is just not, not satisfying. We're not actually getting what we truly need in, in life. Well, the Bible tells us that God created us and that he knows all that we need. He knows what we need most. And the Bible describes what we need in different ways. And today we're going to look at Jesus' saying from the book of John, where he says, I am the bread of life. So we'll explore, explore this idea of Jesus being the bread of life. But there's another question we have to ask uh, once we've figured out from the Bible what it is that we need, and it's, it's equally as, as important as the first one, is why don't we reach out and take what God offers us? Why is it so difficult for us to accept what God gives? So um, we're going to look at John chapter 6, and we'll read from verse 25 to the end. That will be our main focus. And then after the sermon, I'm going to invite us all to read together from, from Psalm 63, which I think will, will make sense uh, as we, after, we, after you hear the sermon. There are four books in the New Testament, as, as you know, that tell us the story of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the book of John is the most different from the other three books in terms of the teachings and actions of Jesus that, that John chooses to cover. And John notably includes seven sayings of Jesus where Jesus says, uh, I am. He begins with the statement with I am. So here in chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life or the living bread. Um, and in these statements, not only is Jesus telling himself, telling us about himself 
through images, I am the bread, I am the true vine, I am the gate, etc. But using the words I am in this way is a reference to the Old Testament name of God, Yahweh, which is derived from God's claim, I am that I am. So Jesus, when he says these sayings, is claiming to be not just a messenger from God the Father, but also that he, in fact, is God the Son. So today, as I say, we'll focus in just on this saying, I am the bread of life. And to give us a little bit of context, Jesus was miraculously healing many people who were sick, and so naturally crowds would gather to follow him around to hopefully see or even experience a miracle uh, from him. And uh, Jesus then, at, uh, in a, one scene just prior to this passage, he takes a handful of loaves of bread and just two fish and miraculously feeds a crowd of thousands. And so, so bread is, the idea of bread is fresh in everyone's minds, not that um, most of us uh, need much prompting to think about uh, food, but um, bread, the idea of bread is very fresh for everyone. And then he and the disciples take a boat to the other side of the lake, uh, and Jesus miraculously walks on water and then brings the boat immediately to the other side uh, of, the, of the lake. But the crowds have now found Jesus once again. So, so let's look at John chapter 6. We'll begin at verse 25, and we'll read... Uh, it's a little bit of a longer passage. We'll read till the end of the chapter. This is the word of God. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the word of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus answered, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that, come, that came down from heaven. They said, 
Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the father except the one who is from God. Only he who has seen the Father. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh. And I, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, there's so much here, and um, so much that we could talk about from this passage. But first, I'd like us to dwell a little bit on uh, what is bread and why does, why does Jesus choose to call himself the bread of life? Uh, and what are, what are our actual needs and how does God meet our needs? But after that, I want us to think about some of the reasons from this passage and from our own lives, the reasons why we don't feed on the bread of life, why, why we don't always take advantage of what God has to offer and what we can do to change that. So first, let's think about bread and explore it uh, a little. Now, I like bread a lot, and I've tasted many 
different types of bread in many places. Um, but, uh, but often in the Bible, bread represents just the most basic, regular food that was available in ancient Israel, the, the calories that most people took in each day. Nothing, nothing fancy. You can survive for a long time on just bread and water. So I think Jesus is using bread to represent the, all of the daily food that humans would eat. And so by saying that God provides bread, it's representing the totality of God's regular provision for human life. And I think for most of us here, I would guess that there's a tendency to just jump right past this reminder to uh, the metaphorical or a spiritual interpretation of Jesus's words. Um, But if we're not careful, we, we might be too hard on the crowds that are uh, that are there to come to, you know, come to Jesus for food uh, and, and for healing. But we really need to cut them some slack. You know, for most of human history and for many people in the world today, daily food is not a guarantee. And acquiring and preparing food takes up a lot of their mental and physical energy. There is that saying that there are only nine meals between civilization and anarchy. And a, a huge portion of the the narrative or the story of the lives of individual people and families for most of history has just been getting enough food uh, to not die. And the rituals of people's daily lives reflect that story. We get up in the morning to milk the cows, to start the fire, to prepare the bread for for baking. So we're going to come back to these ideas of of narrative or story and, of, and ritual. But um, if we fault the crowds for coming to Christ just because of what they could get from him, each of us needs to ask, are we content and satisfied and thankful that we have the basics of life? Um, you know, living here in Grove City, Pennsylvania, relative to the world, you are rich and um, Poor and rich people alike can become caught up in materialism and obsession with possessions or physical health. But after that kind of caveat or warning, we have to also understand that Jesus is, in fact, trying to get these people to receive from him something that is more important than just physical bread or healing. We know that human beings don't just need food and water, clothes and shelter, and medical care. We know that our humanness, our human existence, is both physical and non-material or or spiritual. We need purpose in life. We need the idea that our lives count for something. And we need to think that they're part of a greater story. We need connection to other human beings. And we need connection to God. The story of God and humans revealed to us in the Bible teaches that God created human beings for these purposes, for fellowship with other human beings, and for fellowship with God, and for participation in God's project of redemption. And as human beings, we are created to reflect God's image into the world and to one another. And all of our problems stem from a desire to not to reflect not God's will and presence into the world, but to reflect our own presence, each of us as our own God. 
And this is why we experience alienation from God and from each other, because we have become a world full of own gods. So some sort of repair or renewal of those relationships between God and me and between me and other people is necessary for us to have fellowship with God and with others. So to put it differently, we need to be invited back to God's table in order to receive the spiritual bread that we need. And and back to the physical sense for a second, this physical understanding of bread, we know that no matter how much bread we eat and how much prosperity and medical innovation humanity can achieve, for some day, for, for each of us, someday, that will not be enough and our bodies will die. And if we stay dead, that means the end. That means permanent alienation from other human beings uh, and from God, no matter how much we loved and are loved in this life. So as we read further in the text, we see that the people start to recognize their need for both physical and spiritual bread. They ask Jesus to describe this bread and to explain how they and, and how we are to go about getting it. So first, Jesus says in verse 27, he says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Now, the crowds bring up the memory of manna, the miraculous bread that God gave to his people, the the ancient Israelite ancestors of these, these Jews, when the Israelites were walking in the desert. On that journey, the Israelites were supposed to recognize that this God, Yahweh, had rescued them from the abusive gods of Egypt. He had redeemed them from slavery. He had given them his law. And all of this was for a purpose, so that he could live among them and be their God, and that they would be his people. And so to show them that fellowship with God was satisfying and life-giving, he would make grain drop out of the sky each day. And so he met their physical needs. But the Israelites, like these, these Jews in Jesus' day, and, and if we're honest, like, like us today as well, tended to limit their understanding to just the, the physical or the temporal concerns. But God wants us to love him and enjoy him for his own sake. Let me read what St. Augustine, a 4th or 5th century church father, had to say about this verse in John. He says, How many seek Jesus for no other objective than to get some kind of temporal benefit? One is a business that has run into problems. Another is oppressed by someone more powerful than himself. Another desires intervention with someone over whom he has little influence. One person wants this and another person wants that. The church is filled with these kinds of people. Jesus is scarcely sought after for his own sake. Here, too, he says, you seek me for something else. Seek me for my own sake. That kind of sounds like us today, right? Or many, many of our you know, churches today. Um, it's not, not much has changed in human nature in 1,500 years. But back to the, this Bible passage, the people ask, what do they need to do to acquire this bread? And here we see the the impulse of human beings to earn what God provides for free. But what else does Jesus tell the crowds to do? 
He says in verses 29 and 40 that they should believe in the one whom God has sent. And of course, he means himself. In verse 68, the disciples acknowledge that Jesus' words are the ones that lead to eternal life. And he says in verse 35, come to him for bread and drink. So this is something that God gives us for free, but that's hard. That's hard for us to accept. We see that Jesus has words that lead to eternal life and that we must trust in. How else does Jesus sustain his people spiritually? He says these puzzling things in verses 51 to 58. Whoever wants eternal life must eat the flesh and drink the blood of Jesus. What in the world does Jesus mean by this? Uh, it sounds bizarre, not just to the Jews who were taught not to eat meat with, with blood in it, but also to anyone with just a basic human impulse against cannibalism, right? This sounds crazy. But of course, Jesus must mean this metaphorically because he promises that he will raise us up on the last day, those of us who eat and drink. And of course, he has to be alive to accomplish this. So he's, uh, yeah, thankfully, right? He has to be alive, right? So he's referring instead to participation in the Lord's Supper. And we think about the Lord's Supper. It's not just the eating the act of eating the bread and drinking the wine in the Lord's Supper that guarantees us new life, any more than simply getting up each day and doing the rituals of being a husband makes me a husband. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, this regular ritual that we do with bread and wine, we remember and reenact Jesus's sacrificial death on the cross. And when we celebrate, there's a mysterious meeting of the divine with the physical, just as we believe that Jesus himself was fully God and fully human. And Jesus means for us to depend on him spiritually in the same way that physical food relates to our lives. So we all spend time working to acquire food and then making and preparing it. And then we sit down and we eat it. We eat food because we enjoy it, right? It tastes good. And we, we eat food also because it strengthens us to do things. Similarly, coming to be sustained by Christ is a regular and necessary part of our human lives. And from scripture, Christians have talked about the four means of grace, the ways that God meets our needs with his gifts. These are the Bible, his word, prayer, including singing songs to God, the sacraments, which are baptism and the Lord's Supper, and the fellowship of other believers. These are the ways that God feeds us and sustains us spiritually. Like, like food, we enjoy them, hopefully, while we're, while we're doing them, but we can't pray and read the Bible and enjoy the sacraments and celebrate uh, fellowship with one another constantly, just like we don't eat food constantly. We come back to them regularly, and God fills us up and sustains us through them. When we pray and read the Bible on, on a regular basis with humble hearts, 
when we gather on a weekly basis for worship and the sacraments and for fellowship, that's God's way of building us back up as his living images. And, and those images, as his images, we reflect his presence into the world. So as images of God, when we gather together on a Sunday like this, we are refocused on the God whose image we reflect, and we are refocused on his great story of creation and redemption and our place in it. I'll call this narrative or, or story, God's narrative or story of redemption. And we are strengthened and motivated to serve others with all that we have in our daily vocations throughout the week. And what is the, the end goal of God sustaining us with spiritual food? And so as, as I said before, if God gives us only physical bread, we will grow hungry again, and eventually we will, we will die physically. But God's redemptive plan includes us being more and more conformed spiritually into the image of his son, Jesus, so that on the last day, the day of judgment, our bodies will be remade and transformed and raised to eternal lives of fellowship with God and with others. And since human existence, as we said before, is both physical and spiritual, God, in his plan to redeem human beings, chose to save both our souls and our bodies. This is an amazing thing. Well, this is Jesus's intention for all people, that we would be nourished spiritually and become more like him, physically raised on the last day. So that's what we need. But now we'll come back to this question of why don't we, why don't we always take up what we need? Why don't all people embrace this truth fully? Why is it that even those of us who claim to have faith don't uh, live as if this were true all the time? Now, our, uh, in our, our family, we have, a, we have a motto, which I think Daniel coined many years ago, and it's, it's uh, NCLB, no chocolate left behind. So, uh, yeah, it's like, can I get an amen, you know? <laughs> That's right. um, yeah, what a terrible thing to waste any food, especially chocolate. But you know, spiritually, what, what food are we leaving on the table? Let's think about some of the reasons why human beings, why we as humans don't feed on the food and drink that God provides. Some drink that Doug provided. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, Mark provided that. <laughs> so, what are the reasons? First reason, ignorance. There are some people who have simply never heard about the God of Israel, the triune God, and have never tasted the goodness of a life lived according to his way and in fellowship with him. So those people need to know and they need to hear. They need to taste and see that the Lord is good, as the psalmist says. This should strengthen our desire to tell others about this God and the life that we have in him. But we also have to recognize that God is the one who calls. And Jesus says in verses 37 and 44 that the Father draws some to faith and gives them to Jesus, the Son. And in verse 63, that the Holy Spirit gives life. 
So it's not just ignorance, but also a lack of God-given desire to taste what is good. And this is a sad reality for many people, but it should inspire us to pray for people that the Holy Spirit would, would change the appetite of these people as, as he did for each of us, right? I think we all know people in our lives who just are not interested in speaking about spiritual things, but this can change. And so we pray and we, we hope. But those of us who have tasted the, the goodness of God, um, for us, the fact is that we don't always choose the food that God offers us in our daily lives. One reason is that we're too full already, but we're filled with the junk food that isn't healthy. Let me read just two verses from Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2. It says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Why spend your labor on what does not satisfy? Well, what do we mean by spiritual junk food? Well, this is different, I would say, from poisonous food, which would be false teaching, false ideas, statements about God and humanity that are just not true, according to God's revelation. But spiritual junk food consists of filling our lives, our hearts, with other narratives, other stories besides God's story, and other rituals than the rituals that God has given us. So think about the narratives of movies, books, TV shows, entertainment, gaming. There are sports teams that we follow throughout the season and over many years. These are narratives, and they often have rituals that go along with them. There's food, there's parties, there's conventions, there's spectacles where we gather and we chant and we sing and we stand and we wave our arms. And there are, there are narratives that change can be achieved through politics or through political action. And there are gatherings and rituals for that. There are narratives of power and money and sexuality. There is group belonging. There's uh, including like online fellowship or community or the online affirmation of life in, spent on social media. It makes us feel as though others like us and we're part of something bigger than ourselves. There's the narrative of personal achievement, including health or exercise, fit, or fitness, and even literal uh, physical food. So these all, in some sense, can start to fill some of the needs that God has designed us to be filled by only himself. Why is, why is physical junk food so problematic? It's because it contains some of the elements that are like real food, but they somehow mess with your body's ability to process other things. Similarly, these other narratives and the rituals that go with them sometimes feel satisfying to some degree because they claim to provide something that our bodies and our souls are designed to crave. We're bored, so we 
try different things, we try different foods. Or we, you know, if we're desperate in pain or hunger, we, we grasp at whatever narratives, whatever rituals are available, or whatever we've been fed or taught to consume growing up. So we go back to the story that uh, I am a failure or I'm worthless and I have to prove that I'm worthwhile. I have to prove myself in some way to other people. And I can give, uh, give an example of this sort of uh, false narrative or this, this junk food narrative uh, in my own life. Uh, in my early 20s, I found that, that gaming, especially the strategy conquer the world type games, was, had, it had become an addiction for me. And I especially turned to these games when I felt like my real world was out of my control. So I would retreat into this, this fantasy world where I could be king. I eventually had to give up those games altogether uh, because I just found that I could not play them in moderation. The, the fake promise of control was just too, uh, too tempting. And when we fill up on junk, then we're not as hungry for, for the real thing, Christ. Instead of retreating into this game world where I was, where I was in charge, the, the spiritual junk food, I could recognize that my life is not in my hands, but is in God's hands. And then I could accept the nourishment that God provides me, the true spiritual food. I think that many of us here, including many people who identify as, as believers in Jesus, can think of the stories and the rituals that we choose to nourish our hearts and our bodies with other than the story of God's love for the world. And there's nothing intrinsically wrong with many of these things that I just mentioned. In fact, what makes them so satisfying in moderation is that they somehow match up with elements of God's story. So when I read a book of fiction or watch a movie where there's a realistic portrayal of evil and a fight against evil and a, a, a true victory over evil, I'm rightly attracted to that story because it echoes the truth of what Christ did in his death and his resurrection. And, and saying that, there are, we have to recognize there are better and worse versions uh, of, of this. So not everything is exactly uh, the same. There are some things that are more or less nourishing. But as Christ said in John 6:27, that he himself is the only source of food on which the Father has placed his seal of approval. So that's how, you know it's, that's how you know it's fresh. Okay, so there's ignorance. Some people don't know about God's food. There's rejection. God doesn't give some people the taste for spiritual food. And then our tendency to fill up with spiritual junk food, competing narratives and rituals, and let those take over our lives. A fourth reason, as we saw from both John 6 and Isaiah 55, is that it's hard for some people to accept free bread and drink, uh, spiritual sustenance. We feel the need to earn it ourselves. We like to make our own stories and rituals. We like to be responsible for our own satisfaction. And that keeps me in the driver's seat rather than acknowledging my dependence on someone else, my dependence on God. There are a few cultural commentators that I appreciate reading, but I would kind of place into this category of people, thinkers like Jordan Peterson or Douglas Murray or Tom Holland, 
These are people who are happy to see and enjoy the benefits for society that come from living as if God's story of redemption as found in the Bible were true, but can't bring themselves to believe that the life, death, and resurrection of Christ is actually true. So these are like people who recommend diet and exercise for other people, but they think that they themselves have such a high metabolism that they can eat and drink whatever junk they want and still feel healthy. And we all know, though, that life can only go on so long before uh, it, it catches up with them. Accepting God's free gift, the spiritual food in Christ, actually requires us to admit our dependence on him and to keep coming back to be sustained. Now, a fifth reason that those of us who've been privileged to walk with God for a long time um, feel like it's hard to reach out and grasp the food uh, that God offers is that sometimes it can seem familiar and boring, if we're honest. We read the Bible. It's the same Bible every time. We say the same prayers, mostly, and sing the same songs. We go to church every Sunday, and we see mostly the same people there. This was kind of the problem for the Jews in, in verses 40 and for, 41 and 42. They could not imagine that Jesus, whom they had known from a young age in their town, was in fact the bread of life, despite the miraculous signs that he had given them. And in the Old Testament, we see that the, the, Jew, the Israelites got bored with manna, the miracle bread, so God gave them little birds to eat meat as well, but that didn't stop them from complaining about the lack of variety in their diet. Have we forgotten? Have we forgotten how tasty the bread of life is? Have we forgotten our first love? And how do we regain our taste for this bread if we've lost it? We're going to come back to this because it's crucial. And finally, we see from this passage in John that the way of life that is sustained by Christ's food and drink, his body and blood, just seems too weird or will make us too different from the world. John says that after his teaching, many of the crowds and even some of his disciples stopped following him. This is in verses 60 through 66. Now, it's simple enough, I think, to explain to your family and friends that eating Jesus' body and blood is, is figurative. I think most people could accept that, right? But the really weird thing is that 21st century modern people with cell phones and laptops would believe that a crucified Jewish carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago in Palestine actually was one of God and raised from the dead, and that we, modern people, would love and worship this guy and want to structure our lives according to his story and his teachings. This, this is a hard thing to accept. So, so many churches have tried to downplay this teaching, that the way that we receive forgiveness and new life and fellowship with God and eternal resurrection has to be through the death of Jesus. I think it was A.W. Tozer who said that the message that you win people with is what you will win them to. So whatever your message you're, you're selling, that's what people are going to expect. 
And as sensible as it may seem to, uh, to attract people to church or to Christ with nice sentiments or with common sensuality, that's not the gospel. The good news is that through the work of Jesus, broken and rebellious and starving people, each of us turn to our own way and our own junk foods and poison can be forgiven and transformed and sent out into the world to live lives that God intended us to live. It's that transformation part that is a stumbling block for so many. And so we're tempted to leave it out. Of in, in one sense, this bread of life is, is free, meaning that there's nothing that we can do to earn it. And in another sense, that once we're hooked on it, it requires that we restructure our, our whole lives in order to continue to feast on it. So where should that leave us? I can picture Jesus's inner circle, his 12 disciples standing there after the others have left in disgust. And Jesus asks them if they're going to leave him too. And Peter says, Lord, to whom can we go? You alone have the words that lead to eternal life. As the cost of Jesus's, as the cost of the life that Jesus offers starts to sink in for them, they nevertheless stay with him because they know that there's no other choice. So maybe, maybe you're here today and there have been times when, you are, when you've been desperate and longing for the bread of life, the, the sustenance that God has to offer. But, but that's not how you feel right now. And I understand that. I think that we all go through periods of, of a good sort of hunger and craving where we just cannot get enough of scripture, worship, prayer, and fellowship. Some people feel this way when they come to Christ as, as teenagers or adults, because everything is so new and so wonderful. But this is honestly not how it is for most followers of Christ most of the time. Rather, a healthy, balanced diet of the bread of life involves careful and consistent times of feeding on Christ. Scripture, prayer, worship, woven into our lives. In fact, sometimes we can even get hooked on the spiritual high of those special times when we get to satisfy spiritual cravings, maybe a week or a weekend spent on a spiritual retreat or at a, at a camp or a period of intense study of the Bible where everything is just opening up to you. It's amazing. That's, those times are amazing, but that can't be the regular pattern of life. So what do we do if we don't find ourselves hungry for the bread of life or not as hungry as we wish we were? I think the first step is for us to personally examine ourselves and to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to identify first any poisonous food that we've been eating, and then those spiritual junk food that we are filling our lives with other than Jesus. And maybe we need to ask others to help us with this and to tell us honestly about those places that we're struggling in our lives. And this is another reason why we need the fellowship of one another and to live in close community. And as for some of us, these junk foods are entertainment or sports or ambition, power, or a, rela a relationship that's just sort of dominating and all-consuming in our lives, or, or even politics. But ultimately, filling up 
on just these stories and rituals as our spiritual food will leave our souls hungry. And apart from Christ, it really does lead to death. But the next step after recognizing junk food and putting it back in its place is to replace it with good food. And I'm sure you've all heard the the expression, you are what you eat. And this applies to our souls as much as it does to our bodies. Uh, Another way of getting at this truth is you are what you worship. On a day-to-day, hour-by-hour basis, this means filling our hearts and our minds with the words of God in scripture and good songs and calling upon him often in prayer. And gradually, we shift our focus away from these alternate stories and rituals toward the things that God has done. And this includes things that God has done for others, the ancient Israelites in the Old Testament, the church in the New Testament, and throughout the ages, and what God is doing in the church globally and in the local church here. And it involves each of us reminding ourselves and reminding each other of the things that God has done in each of our lives. Hey, remember how you used to, remember how you used to feel that? Remember how you always used to tell me that so-and-so would get on your nerves and now, now he doesn't? That's because, that's because of the work of God in you. Remember how you used to always rely on, you used to be so caught up in, in, this, uh, you know, in your business. Well, now that's in, your proper, in its proper place and your focus is on God. So telling each other these things, reminding each other of these things is so crucial. God is a good and faithful God who provides what we need when we need it. And finally, if you have never had that personal experience of God sustaining you, let today be that day that you believe in the one that the Father has sent, Jesus Christ, the bread of life. He died to pay the penalty for the ways that you and I offend God, And he rose to life so that you could have eternal life. So taste and see that this God is good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving each of us bread. For giving each of us life and breath. For creating us as your living and breathing images in the world. And we confess to you that we never fully live up to that vocation of being your image in the world. But we thank you for not leaving us in this broken and rebellious state, but for drawing us to yourself. Jesus, the bread of life, we praise and thank you for your perfect life, sacrificial death, and resurrection victory. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work in our hearts and in the hearts of those around us to make us desire that true spiritual food, the word of scripture that you have inspired that guides us into life and guides us in our everyday lives. Help us to put all other stories and rituals in their proper place and to take up our place in your story of redemption. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, before we conclude our time of worship with singing, I I promised that we would recite together the words of Psalm 63. And I hope that it reflects your desire. Um, And if it doesn't, pray that God himself would give you this desire. So let's all stand as we read together from Psalm 63. 
So I'll read where it says L, and you can read C for a congregation. A Psalm of David, when he was in the desert of Judah. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. All who swear by God will glory in him. With singing lips, our mouths will praise you.